Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has perfected the art of driving his car on the bed of a river. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass. It's really, uh, it's so much easier when you're dead. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to believe, uh, you, I'm just going to choose to read this movie in the most like obtuse way possible. That like where the bad guy isn't the bad guy, and things just happen to keep befalling these other like these people he comes into contact with. She really just go did go for a night ride. Yeah, and like her, a very ill advised night ride in her pajamas. Yes, in her pajamas, yeah. tied up. Yeah, yeah, uh, with a big hole in her neck. Yes, I. Uh, that, although that's a little that's harder to see on the on the listen, video. We but. could right. You could you could argue it's not there. Just mainly because wanted. of the way the the time period the movie's being made. They're like, well, we can't show right. that. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Yeah, you do. We do a non-criterion film over there just to give ourselves a little break from this endless, endless Sisyphean task of working our way through the Criterion collection. We get a little breather every month. And it's not even really a breather because it's a it's an extra episode on top of our other workload. Anyway, yeah. We just do it. Yeah. We just do it because it's fun. Uh, but we're really happy to uh, to have people help us keep going financially and to give them a little reward for that. Just $1 a month gets you access to that. You get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. You get to get, get access to all of the back catalog of those. There's over 60 and some really fun movies over there. We did uh, Tokyo Twilight recently and Ozu. Yeah, that was interesting. Eclipse collection, but not... In the uh, not in the Criterion Collection proper yet, uh, and we've done one of the earliest ones I can remember was Critters Two, just to give you an idea of the the breadth of films that we've watched. I mean, those are roughly comparable, right? Yeah, sometimes you get an Ozu, sometimes you get a Mick Garris, director of Critters Three. What a good time we have over there for a little above that one dollar mark for folks who can afford it and want to help us keep going. There's that five dollar mark, and we're very grateful. To our $5 supporters, so grateful, in fact, that we'd like to thank them on air. In fact, that's really all they're paying for as far as physical Yeah, I mean, if we if we stopped go, doing that, that would be problematic, probably, because that's really... It would be some for, sort of breach of con- probably, contract yeah, of some sue. sort. Yeah. I mean, the level is literally called, hear someone say your name. So hear me now. Say the name, so our $5 supporters. Thank you so much to Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer, our current $5 supporters. A little above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, mail it off once a month with a little personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. Also like to thank those folks on there. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Jason Westhaver, Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, and Tracy McGrath, yes, our $10 thank you so and much. above supporters. If you want to check out those postcards or buy old postcards without committing to that ten dollar and above mark, I mean, you'll get a new postcard. The postcard won't be old. It will be a new copy of the postcard. Even if you signed up for the ten dollar mark right now, you're never going to get the old postcards through that. It's always new. 
never looking back. But if you do want to look back, head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there. You can see past postcards and buy them as postcards, greeting cards, uh, stickers, some of them as buttons, and one of them as a t-shirt. But pretty much anything you ask me for that you know Redbubble shells, mouse pads, uh, booty shorts. Man, one of my postcards on a booty shorts would be upsetting. Like Yes. But I, I kinda want it to happen now. I'm kind of I'm invested now in this idea. We could we could print really uh I mean they offer zero protection. Uh but we could have face masks printed with one of your postcards. Oh there you go. And, okay. And let me clarify, face masks work. The face masks that the, the, Red they sell sells, do not. I have some doubts about. Right. <laughs> we uh, can't definitively say whether they do or do not work. That's true. I haven't tested them. But uh, they're not printing them on N95s, which probably would ruin an N95. <laughs> right, probably so. not great anyway, but yes. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much to everyone who's purchased anything from Redbubble. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters, and thank you to you for listening. Yes, thank you. Pat, this week we're watching Night of the Hunter from 1955. A movie it about a man who did nothing wrong. <laughs> just, okay. just going to start taking you, like really hard line disturbing takes on all the movies we watch. Uh, <laughs> I should not have taken medicine last night trying to record this movie today or this podcast today. Great. Uh, well, well, we'll dig into Pat's assertion there in a second. Uh, but first, I want to talk about Charles Lawton, who is the director of this film. Charles Lawton is a... Uh, he is principally a film actor and i believe we've seen oh him we've before. definitely seen charles Lawton before i'm sure yeah i can't think particularly uh but he's got a really long filmography but he's been acting i mean he his career started in 1928 he acted for for multiple decades but he only directed once so we'll never Wait, is this we'll never see another one? charles yeah Wow. We, we, well, he directed stage apart from this. Well, okay, but like, very... we're not going to see any stage productions yeah. unless of course Criterion not. Collection yeah. radically changes their MO very <laughs> right, soon. Right, right, right. Yeah. He, uh, he was well-regarded as an acting teacher uh, and well-regarded as an actor. Uh, an actor's actor at that. Uh, but he made this movie and... The public reaction to this movie was not great. Yeah, I can imagine. People people did not buy into it. Not not just because of not connecting with the plot, uh, but also because this is this comes out in 1955 and the novel came out in 1952 and the novel did sell very well. But uh, we're talking early 50s, so this sort of Southern Gothic wasn't really a thing yet. Right, okay. 1952 was also the year that... Uh, uh, oh, goodness. What's her name? 1952 was also the year Flannery O'Connor uh, released her first short story collection. Uh, Faulkner had been releasing stuff since 1929, but even he didn't really get into Southern Gothic mode and the grotesque until later. Right. And hadn't really, so so people would be seeing this without without being able to contextualize it as Southern Gothic in the way that we could, right? 
Uh, and that's one reason that one of the essayists, because there's there's multiple essays that the Criterion Collection brings to us for this movie. Uh, but one of the essayists suggests that as a reason that uh, that why audiences fail to connect with it. Um, and I think that's probably fair, especially considering that the book was popular and the movie wasn't. So why? But also, well, I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume if you look at sort of the pattern in the history of literature versus film, right? Like literature is going to be more on the forefront, right? It moves right. faster. It it evolves quicker just because of nothing else. The turnaround on stuff is just easier, right? Like you have more people making it more t- more, more often over more time. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just going to iterate faster, right? And so like right. oftentimes literature leads film in terms of like new themes different new and different ideas you you can get things published more easily than you can get movies made about the same topic especially when you consider right. this is like this is still Hayes code right so like yeah like this is yeah, a we hard are in the sell. last like this the is, last few years of that yeah this is even even if it's you know in its waning days like there's a lot of shit going on here someone else suggested one of the other essays suggested that this 1955 was also just a time for more feel-good movies than this was. Okay. And I guess maybe. I mean, I don't know. Rebel, yeah, I mean, pro- Rebel, probably Rebel, true, but. Rebel Without a Cause came out in 1955, uh, and that's not. Right, but that's also not this. It's. I mean, it's certainly not this, yes, but, but yeah. I, I think it's just that, yeah, I think this is just a movie essentially – ahead of its time right it's just not people are not quite ready for this i will say to be fair uh the highest grossing movie uh by over three times its nearest competitor the highest grossing movie of 1955 was lady in the trap so right yeah well right no i mean i think like i mean clearly there will develop a a market for this kind of movie or a movie movie with these feet with this sort of if not exactly this movie, but this a movie movies with this level of, um, yeah. You know, well, it's very stylized, first of all, but like also just sort of the way that it deals with the pretty difficult topics that, like, you know, you you may have heard that we're back in the same old like is nudity and and sex in movies bad discourse because we're <laughs> yeah. we're on what round whatever yes. of this right, and like yes. you know there's there's I forget who wrote the article, but there's an article oh. I can't remember the person's name, but about the idea of like the, the sort of distorted mirror, right. Effect where you like, where like you get sort of society and film sort of bouncing back and forth. Right. And if you purposely distort one, for example, with the Hayes code, you start to also also alter the other one. Right. And like, yeah, society is still pretty hard in like a, like, well, we still want to feel good vibe. Right. In a lot of ways. At this yes. Time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Lady and the Tramp certainly got you that. Right, yeah, um, Lady and the Tramp is maybe <laughs> is maybe the easiest film, like the like most the most like <laughs> not like I don't know how to describe what I'm saying, like the most like cotton candy movie ever made by mankind. It's more of a spaghetti and meatballs movie than a cotton candy. Well, that movie. That's, I, I was trying to think about the idea, like how you would describe <laughs> a movie that does nothing to offend anyone on any regard, like in any right, possible right. way. Yes. With, with like that, that says nothing, accomplishes nothing, and also in no way offends anyone. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, 
the novel that this is based off of uh, is by a guy named Davis Grubb. And uh, Grubb would go on more, more of his novels would be made into movies in the future. But this was his first novel as well. Um, it is based on true events. A guy named Harry Powers who was hanged in 1932 for the murder of two widows and three children in Clarksburg, West Virginia. Um, not a great guy. No. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it being a true story doesn't really play into no, no. This is to it, it either, right? Right. And this Charles, is not like a true crime drama yeah. thing, really, right? Right. right because right. the way it's all no. stylized and played up, it's not really meant to like right. do that, it's a, right? It's a, it's a child's nightmare, is, is what right. this is stylistically. Um, but Lawton, ultimately, Lawton's, uh, Lawton seems just to have been heartbroken by the fact that no one liked his movie. That's okay. I, I, uh, I understand that because there's clearly a lot of like, yeah, there's a lot invested he, in this movie in terms of like yeah. the performances and everything that's going on, right? Yeah, yeah, and he did put, he put a lot into this movie. Um, he really just he decided you know it's 1955 it's a black and white film right 1955 it doesn't need to be a black and white film uh right he uh decided that he really wanted it to be visually a dw griffith film so he got every dw griffith film he could get his hands on and just poured over them uh and in fact the the woman who plays rachel uh, is a D.W. Griffith regular. Uh, she was in some of his movies when she was younger. Silent films, uh, and her career basically did not make it into the sound era, aside from... From from this movie, I guess. <laughs> from, yeah, 20 years later, 30 years later, coming back to this. But yeah, Lillian Gish, Gish was a, was a uh, Griffith actor. Obviously, you know, this is also... There's the Griffith stuff, and there's that that very realistic three dimensionalness to many of the outdoor scenes that we get, but then many of the indoor scenes, and even some of the some of the scenes looking out from indoors, are very German expressionist, yeah. right? Which which also a highly contrast, high uh, highly stylized well, all, black it, and white it photography. All, it all goes towards that sort of gothic sort of vibe, right? Yes. Like it, it's it. It's it is put together in a way that you feel the sort of you start to you get a very good impression of the stylist style of the story, even from the style of the visuals in the film, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially like the landscapes, the matte paintings on, like you know, you can tell that right. the sky is matte painted, and it and it, it is oddly enough kind of reminiscent of what we saw a couple weeks ago in House, where like. Yeah, like where the sky doesn't look real. It doesn't look like the sky right, that right. you and I look out at every day. It's not going for a realistic matte painting style, as much as it kind of making it a little dreamlike. Yeah, yeah. This is also a movie. Obviously, House who turns that. Well, yeah, turns it turns that, that up, up to a lot. What, whatever but, more than but, eleven, whatever a number, some number beyond. Yeah. <laughs> right, but this is also a movie whose visual effects are meant to be surrealistic, yes. not realistic. Right. Uh, you you mentioned in the yeah uh, in the introduction the the um, mom's body in the car right. yeah the way she sits under the right. water sort of feels like something out of like almost like a Greek tragedy or something like yeah. 
it's hard to describe, uh, but there are moments that are p- particularly nightmarish where the kids just see Robert Mitchum in silhouette, yeah, chasing silhouette, after them. or his shadow, like. Uh, He's in the, the the scene that you can't like you kind of can't let go of right as far as that's concerned is when they're in the barn and he's in silhouette and somehow his shadow reaches all the way to the barn despite yes. he has to be like mile like a yeah. mile away <laughs> and somehow his shadow really, reaches into the barn. Yeah, a really interesting thing that they did, uh, and I really think I've not seen it described in this way, but I really think it was a purposeful decision by Lawton to give it more of a surreal quality is that the the sort of long shots the far away shots of him on the horse Mm -hmm. while he's chasing after them um where he's got sort of a surreal movement to him were because those were shot in forced perspective with a uh with a short person actor riding a pony huh that's really interesting yeah um what what what's the, i wonder what what's the stated reason like i mean i i agree with you that i think that's actually probably a choice to like <laughs> make things feel fucked up but like yeah is there a stated reason why they had to do that was it just like they didn't have the budget to like have a proper crane shot or something or i don't know and i don't remember where i ran across that information so uh let me see if i can take, it, take it with a grain of salt but like i mean you're right though he moves in a way that feels unnatural right it it but that happens multiple times right like the movie right. the um the acting in the film does a very good job it, it's really fascinating because you don't okay i'm gonna start nine sentences and not finish any of them <laughs> so what I'm trying to get across here is that the movie is conveying with body language from Robert Mitchum ideas that the story's already sharing about how like much of a fucking nightmare person he is. What I mean is like the story will already very makes it very explicit that like he's a scary, dangerous person. You know what I mean? But it but the acting goes does goes such a long way to make you feel uncomfortable with him from like the moment you meet him that some of the scenes that make explicit how bad of a person he is aren't actually technically necessary, right? Yeah. Like we see that th- scene of him in the theater watching and he's got the blade. You don't need that scene. Like yeah. I mean it's fine. It's good. Right. It's I'm not saying that any scene should be cut out of the film. You already mentioned the code and the fact that that scene involves his pocket knife shooting through yeah, his pocket. Yeah. yeah. Is uh Well, this movie's right on the edge. I'm sure that like this yeah. is it's a hard sell. But like you know what I mean though, right? He there's a lot of scenes that make further explicit something that his acting alone conveys to any person with eyes right. and a brain. Right. Right. You're like, oh, guy, this guy is a scary motherfucker who is very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's Robert Mitchum was generally a hero prior to this. Uh, but he's in all his roles. He has a competence that he doesn't exactly have here because they also have to. He has to be foiled by children over right, the course right, of right. this movie, too. Right. Uh, so so he's got he's got that menace, but he's also got very comedic aspects to him. Um by the way, the stated reason for the pony is just because they were shooting on a very small soundstage and they wanted the the feeling of the depth of field of a, of him being further away than they could possibly have right made him. Right on the soundstage. Yeah. 
I uh, still feel like also maybe you just wanted to be very <laughs> fucked up looking, like the right, way, like the right. way everybody yeah. moves just and weird. things act. Yeah, just 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 knowing that something was wrong. Yes, right, and and not you being able really... at the time to put your finger on it, like you have no yeah. idea why. Right, right. You can't tell what's wrong there, but there's something not right. Uh, something otherworldly, and there's plenty of otherworldly stuff in this. Right, movie. right. Uh, it doesn't feel out of the... place or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right before he murders her, uh, uh, Shelley Winters and and him in the bedroom with its high gothic uh, uh, German expressionism shadows yes. while they while they have their little argument. It's just. Oh man, everything about this movie. Yeah, this movie is so... real fucking weird. Like I mean, I I yeah. do like it a lot. Like it is um it's it's well and even those in everything every one of those scenes like that that bedroom scene you're talking about feels like it's just ripped from a painting that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like it's just like yeah, it says well somebody this painting is in a is in some museum somewhere. Right, right. Uh the clothing's yeah, probably the, different, but the, the the setup, the style, every every position is 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 some painting that somebody saw in a museum tour in Europe at some point, but it <laughs> probably doesn't actually exist. But it feels like it should. Absolutely, and like the uh, while the kids are on the boat falling asleep, and we get just like a series of animal watchers, yeah, <laughs> passing by. A good chunk of this movie is a child's nightmare. Yes, right. Just in the way it's visually presented, in obviously the the way the way Mitchum's villain works. Period. Right. right. Well, and yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the, not everything doesn't necessarily follow like pure logical cause and effect, right? Like, right. It it, it operates on a sort of childlike logic in a lot of ways, right? Um, yeah. And and especially it's tapping into like specifically the sorts of nightmares of of like the great depression too, right? Like this idea that like, mm-hmm. like it's not just the nightmares of children. It's the nightmare of children who like could become destitute and like just alone in the world, completely wandering the earth at any time. Right. Right. And maybe, and maybe that's uh that's one reason this movie didn't connect with the audience is that we're dealing with people who were children during the depression right, right. would be your adult audience for this movie. And maybe don't want to think about the thing that was, <laughs> that was de- yeah. well, and the thing that like a lot of people, it, you know, again, with any of those sort of major sort of traumas, right? Like everybody want us, wants to sort of like, not just let go of it, but like also pretend it wasn't as bad as it was because right. realize thinking about how bad it actually was, automatically indicts the system that you're in right now right like you automatically have to like admit to the fact that like well yeah you're still letting some children fall like this fate befall some number of children in your world and and that's a hard thing to come to grasp with right you have to like admit like oh yeah well it got better for us but it probably didn't get better for everybody Um, right yeah i will i will say um Obviously, it, it, it falls in, in service of the expressionism of this film and, and the visual style it's going for. Uh, but this is incredibly flat West Virginia we're dealing with in this right, movie. Right, right, yeah. Uh, and the fact that they they make reference to being upriver from Parkersburg in Cincinnati means that river is the Ohio River. Yes. There is no no place the Ohio River flows where where the surrounding area is that flat. Yeah, no, least. the idea that like you could just like wander straight from a farm right down like right into the ohio river like 
like as though you're just walking across a flat piece of land is like yeah. fucking wild. <laughs> like I don't know. Like it's just, at least at least not on the West Virginia side of the Ohio. Well, like River. I mean, like I've uh, not been to every part on the West on the Ohio <laughs> River, but like ninety nine percent of the yeah. time, if you want to get to the Ohio River, you have to fall down something very tall to get down there. Your ass usually, has to roll usually. down a pretty steep incline to get to the the Ohio River. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that that did take me out a little bit, but whatever. I just sort of uh, I I decided like when I was watching, I I agree. Like I I thought about sort of some of that stuff initially. I was like, well, none of these, and then I was like, you know what? This is all a fairy tale. Like anyway, like I just they didn't need the names of real places in the first place. They just no, did they it didn't. because they just. I think they were probably honestly speaking, um, is more that like. Nobody wanted to make the call to just make up a bunch of <laughs> fake places, right? You know what right, I mean, like right. which would have probably actually worked in service of the film anyway. Uh, you know, it, it you didn't, you probably didn't have to um, make it a um, like a bunch of real, like real places that people know, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's probably a choice that like comes from like again maybe not being a hundred percent willing to commit to the idea of um, making up fake places and then also like well oh, nobody's from Ohio it's fine right <laughs> but he's from this part of West Virginia at least yeah um, yeah I mean it it ultimately boils back to they were working on sound stages in Hollywood right They're yeah not, exactly they don't need to build mountains they don't even need to paint mountains. Especially considering, you know, most of the map paintings are are like full white backdrops to have a silhouette against. Yeah, there 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 are you know at best the the black and white version of like a a sort of gone with the wind kind of sunset or some nonsense like that, right? Right, so right, like, what, right, right. Like, you know, doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. I mean, I I didn't even I sort of just sort of forgot about even where we were supposed to be taking place. Like, <laughs> right, right. I know right. it was West Virginia, but then I was like, well, okay, but we're also moving down the way, you know the Ohio River. It does get flatter, but it's still not this yeah. flat. I don't know. It's whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Um, Robert Mitchum here is one. Uh, he has been voted one of the. Powell's been voted one of the greatest movie villains um, on an AFI list, like number 23 out of 100 I mean, or he's real yeah. fucking and scary. And he's very menacing and really scary. Obviously, the uh, the love and hate uh, tattoos uh, we've seen referenced uh, in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Uh, Radio's got the, the rings that say... Right. Um, you've seen it. Is, hate, is this where hand, it right comes hand. from? This is where it comes from. Because I've seen it. it seen, here. You've seen it in a lot of yeah. places. <laughs> yes, Lee is making a more direct right. reference, but there's a lot of a lot of less uh, less direct references than than what Spike Spike Lee was doing there, uh, because Spike Lee basically quotes the entire speech word for word. Um, I mean, makes sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like all the now my brain is kind of like, okay. I'm going to think of every time I've ever seen something that is. Well, is referencing uh, Simpsons, this. It's a lot. Simpsons does it in a very funny way uh, in in Cape Fear, which is actually, mostly a reference to a different Robert Mitchum role. Uh, but um, uh, Sideshow Bob has love and hate uh, written on his knuckles, but because of Simpson hands, 
Uh, it says L U V and H A with a uh, with an. I think he explains it's a long A <laughs> because it just <laughs> was, says H A T. I was, I was too, well. I mean, already though, when you're dealing with the Simpsons, yeah. right? You're already in the the, the realm of parody, <laughs> right. right? So, yes, uh, but it's very funny. Um, he apparently Mitchum hated Shelley Winters. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, he was cast first. And when he found out that they were casting Shelley Winters, uh, he was irate. So this is like a long-standing beef. It's not even like from this he film. Was, I don't think it was a beef. I think I think he didn't respect her as an actress. So when he found out she was cast as uh, as a West Virginian, um, knowing that she wouldn't be able to pull it off, which I don't. She's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, yeah. I don't know where where Mitchum's character is supposed to be from, but like he is yes. he's certainly not from West Virginia. I don't know where the hell he's supposed to be from. It's something. Um, he's got an iterant teacher, a uh, preacher voice that just works. Descends. It descends uh, borders or ascends. Yes. Bo- I don't know. You know what I mean? Transcends. Yes, That's yes. the word I'm looking for. There you go. Um, but yeah, he was he was convinced she wouldn't be able to do it, and. Uh, Obviously, I'm familiar with the script, familiar with the story already. Uh, apparently, when she was cast, said, uh, "Well, the one part she'll be very good at uh, will be as a body with a slit neck under the water." Jeez, uh, man, Mitch, I'm like, cool, dude. Yeah. What the fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, uh, to the movie's uh, special effects budget. Uh, you would not know that was a dummy in that scene. It is not Shelley no. Winters holding her breath I mean, for I an assumed, incredible I amount of time. I assume not, but damn, like it's very <laughs> yeah. good. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, Mitchum, however, did help out the kids, uh, sort of giving them giving them direction, uh, in the scenes with them and being very gracious with them. I mean, Lawton. Lawton took a fairly hands-on pr- approach to directing as well. Uh, yeah, it's... I would love to have seen more Lawton movies. I think the direction of this is really great. Uh, so I am disappointed that it broke his heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is it sad. Because he did, he did do an excellent job. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Cooper was considered for the role of the preacher. Uh, but didn't take it because he thought being such an overt villain would be bad for his career. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, it didn't hurt Robert Mitchum's career, right? Like, Oh, certainly not. I, I mean, certainly I was, not. I'm just trying to think of it was like, I don't know the timeline of Robert Mitchum's career. It's like, I don't, he's definitely in movies after this. So yeah, I think, I think Mitchum probably got more, uh, more villainous roles, including Gate fear moving forward. Right. But, but I, I, you know, a lot of, Actors end up sort of talking about how that's more fun to do anyway, right? Like in the end, right? They get yeah. to kind of like be weird yeah. on camera. Yeah. And Mitchum, Mitchum's definitely having fun oh, here. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I've bothered now to go to Robert Mitchum's filmography. Yeah. It, it doesn't <laughs> seem to have hurt his career at all. No. No. Did almost nothing to it. Only made 7,000 uh, movies after this. Yes. Uh, yeah. The kids. Uh, the kids. Didn't have much of a career. Ah, that's uh, but the, we've we've gotten kind of used but, to that, right? Like that's part of the thing, right? Is that yeah. um, you know, some some child actors parlay that into future roles, and then some just don't, right? 
I mean, it doesn't. Right. It, it looks like you know the kid who played, uh, like the the um the boy who played John doesn't look like he really tried very much after this. No, it's no a couple roles. No, he actually had it. like he had, one he more. Had, he had a good amount of roles prior to this, actually. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, um, but then uh, and a couple of TV show like TV movie things, right? Like, yeah. Uh, he'd been acting since he was a baby. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, Sally Jane Bruce actually, in the original cut of this movie, does perform the song that that per- Pearl sings in the boat, uh, but they overdubbed her. Uh, no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that decision was made. Um, but there is there is apparently a version of that scene with, with her singing. Um which maybe maybe it just came off as too creepy because one thing that's definitely done with the music here is that all of the good characters, the songs are very soothing. Right. And all right. of the bad characters. Mitchum every time Mitchum sings is even when Mitchum is singing with the rest of with other people. Well, they sort of overlay uh, the two mo- the motifs. Yeah. It's really the um, right. the that singing scene is really fascinating. Like well one of the interesting things and I you I didn't go back to check this because I just didn't have the mental energy to watch the movie again completely from the <laughs> yes. beginning. Um an interesting thing sorry, not to like sort of take oh, what you're please. what you're talking about here, but like you'll notice that like he doesn't I, I this may be the case of this song. I don't know this song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's chorused in such a way that like the men and women have different parts, but they're not singing the same when he, song. when he and Rachel when he and Rachel are both singing right he yeah. never says Jesus right uh, so he is singing the lyrics to Leaning on the Everlasting Arms that I am familiar with okay um uh, Rachel's singing is. What I would what I would expect would be very normal in a tradition like the one I'm in now, but not the one I grew up in, where uh, four part harmony is very important. Okay. To, yeah, I can imagine things. that. So, so quite often, uh, those those harmonies don't just. Uh, it's not just about the vocal harmony. It is about. Uh, counter singing a different line right and and i've experienced that's why i was not sure because i don't know this song uh but like i'm trying to think back and but i also wonder if that's a purposeful choice by lawton or something you know in the in the design of the song is like i'm trying to think back my memory and this is this could be really i'm trying to recall if pal ever actually says the word jesus or god <laughs> um i or if there's 100%. sort of an implied thing that like yeah you know, because we talk about like the an- yeah. you know we sort of talk about the antichrist at the beginning and some stuff like that yeah there's sort of an impression that like that's sort of the idea that like and again like he may i i'm trying to remember he doesn't use it there and i know i can think of a couple specific times where he talks to god but doesn't name god Right, right, right. And so right, I don't yes. know. I'm trying to remember if that if that's true throughout the film or not. But there's sort of this idea that sort of implies that like he can't actually. Right. He can like feign at it, but he can't do it. Right. He can't say. There is, there is the moment where uh, Ben Harper, the kid's dad in prison, asks him what religion it is exactly that he's preaching. Yeah. And he says, he says, 
the most overt reference he has to God is the religion the Almighty and me worked out betwixt us. Is what he says, right? But that 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 has an implication that 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 goes along towards the implication of sort right. of the antichrist that they have throughout the sort of right. the thematically of the right. movie, right? It's like, well, that's not that's not saying anything, right? That's saying something yes. without saying anything, right? I just wonder if that's true. I I I got tempted to like, I was like, I can't watch another, I can't watch the movie for another hour and a half. I just do not have time to watch this movie and figure out if it's true or not. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the way this movie treats Christianity is is interesting because Rachel you know Rachel obviously everything we hear her say about religion is aimed at comforting children right uh their stories for kids and their stories of uh of salvation but also the there's stories about children being sh- saved from oppression oppression particularly right Moses Moses in the uh uh in the in the ark in the river and uh and Jesus escaping the uh murder by Herod. Um so so there is that balance of hers is hers is a very caring but a very child oriented Christianity. Um that one one could say the movie is calling simplistic but better for being loving. Uh Whereas his is just as simplistic, but it is all fire and brimstone, and it is all God hates the people I hate. Right, right. Uh, and I mean, the people his hate, and the people he hates particularly, are uh, women with power. Right. I mean, like <laughs> or, this is not a movie where that has has subtle and nuanced things to say about religion. No, okay. No, like, let's no. be very clear here. The movie starts with that. I forget exactly what it it says at the beginning, but like, oh yeah, it uses the like you'll know him by his his axe or whatever, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. And yes. like the movie is, the movie, in much the way that the movie is a sort of fairy tale. Yeah. It wants to it wants to as part of that to where, who is the good guy and who is the bad guy and like what is good and what is bad very overtly. In a right. sort of childish way, right? Like it's there's the good, there's the good, and there's the bad, and there's no. The adults can't see it, right? They can be fooled, but there's no doubt in the audience, or as and the audience are put into the position of having like childish minds. The children right. or the adults' minds about like who is good and who is bad, right? And um, the, I mean, obviously Pearl does, but like Pearl's pro is meant to be so young that she she's she'll just believe anything that anybody tells her about anything. Right. right. Like it's, right. you know, right. Whereas, whereas we're using John as our primary sort of like, um, lens to say like, well, John can figure it out. And you, the audience are like John, yeah. you can see and, the truth here too. And in this movie's good versus evil, uh, uh, compassionate Christianity versus versus condemning Christianity. Uh, John is not John's moment at the end where he runs to Powell being arrested because he is having a traumatic flashback to his right. father being arrested right. is certainly in balance against the ice cream shop owners leading a lynch mob yes for Powell but John John is not being presented as someone who is uh Wanting to turn the other cheek to Powell. No. John is being presented as someone who doesn't know what to do with the emotions he has because he's a child. Whereas 
uh, the townspeople are similarly being presented as people who don't know what to do with the emotions they have right, right. because they are children. Uh, unfortunately, they're not wanting to knowing what to do with their emotions uh, involves trying to kill a man who, you know, deserves to be thrust out of their society, certainly. Right. I mean, least. you know, it's 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 one of those things, though, also where we, we get John and John is again, John's our lens. And like we're supposed to get the idea that like him panicking and not knowing what like you know how to react is 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 much more should be the more norm than like the lynch mob right like the lynch right, mob is right. meant to be scary looking right right it is it is a sort of sign that like to the audience that like well, Powell is not the only person capable of bad things in this world right right and John knows that <laughs> I mean this is this is my own politics blowing boiling into this certainly and the movie is not being super nuanced about this point if it's trying to make it at all but John is someone who exhibits that the nature of carceral punishment whether on to someone we think deserves it or not is still a traumatic thing for people who are experiencing it Right, right. Uh, and not just not just the people being arrested, but the people seeing that arrest, the people uh, who know the person being arrested, and even the victims who the arrest is ostensibly meant to protect. Right, right, right. And and we're yeah, as an audience, we're supposed to have conflicting emotions about this, right? Because this happens right yeah. after like they are ostensibly being saved. The police are yes. saving them. They are yes. They were in extreme danger. And now that danger doesn't exist anymore, right. but the nature of the way that 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 nature is that danger is made to cease to exist is in itself also like traumatic and like terrifying, yeah. right? Like we saw that like and like we know that John's dad did something bad to get that right. money. Like it's right. not we're not right. it's not painted that like yeah. this is like a loaf of bread to feed my. F- I mean, like it is, no. but like he definitely killed some people to get that, right? And it. And ten grand's a lot of money in, right, in right. the time and, period this movie and, takes place. Like, so ten grand's a lot of money today, right? And so, so we're like forced to come to terms with the fact, like John's put in a position where, like, he's like the the reasons why the person did it and it was doing those things is different, but he's seeing essentially the exact same action play out, right? And this time it's to sub- ostensibly save him rather than like, right? You know, the yeah. other one was is is. Is it, you know, we can, it, it reflects, but it's not a perfect mirror, right? Certainly, at least from Ben, from John's point of view. Uh, I mean, John doesn't understand what his dad's done, period. No, right? no. And certainly Pearl doesn't. But uh, given the way everything comes together, we never get Ben stating his motives. And we never get uh, Ben admitting to the murders he's been accused of, right? Uh I believe someone says he he killed two people in in this theft, right? Right. Uh, and that's information given in a way that we have no reason to question it as far as the movie's concerned, right? <laughs> um, ben, ben does not maintain his innocence on any account. Right. Uh, so, um, but Ben is stealing money in the Depression from a bank to better the lives of him and his family who are dirt poor living in West Virginia. Right. 
Um, and while most people were dirt poor in uh, West Virginia in the was depression, a wasn't West Virginia yeah, that area the sort of the Appalachian area tends to be, yeah. especially during the yes. depression. Yes, I mean much worse. Yes, than average. One could argue is an act of love. Is an act of self-preservation, and if it weren't for the fact that things went south, it would have been a victimless crime because he's stealing. Right, blood. right. I mean, and that, and that's the thing is like that's where you sort of start to see like you you kind of wonder like is that subtlety for the sake of subtlety or is that subtlety yeah. because you need to like oh well we're watch this man yeah. get we need to like see he's, this man be punished so we have to make his crime. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Like yeah. You sort of like wonder, you right. find yourself kind of wondering in the back of your head, is this like the result of something to akin to the Hayes yeah. Code or something like that, where we can't yeah. just have a man punished I, for like what is essentially a victimless crime? Right. I don't think that anything about this movie wants us to see, uh, wants us to think that John sees the parallels between his father's arrest and Powell's arrest as anything deeper than the action. No, no. I, well, I mean, I don't think John is meant to, but I think we as an audience are supposed to think about those things, right? Like we're, that's what separates us from John is our sort of lens is that like, we're all adults sitting in a room. We're supposed to be able to look at things and say like, and try to analyze them somewhat deeper. We can, we can analyze why Ben is good and Powell is bad. Right. And Ben, Ben does commit murder, but he commits murder, uh, in an act of, uh, well, attempting to commit another crime, he incidentally commits murder. Right, and, and we don't get a lot forgive. of details. It's personally does, left yeah. a little that bit does, vague. Yeah, that does not forgive the murders, but uh, Powell purposefully seeks people out, seeks hurting right, people right. out, like, seeks we are grieving still, people yes. out, yeah. and murders them to steal their money. Right, like we are, and so, we are supposed to, to draw to a line as an audience so. between Powell and and and... And ben. ben, like we were supposed to be, like okay, these are factually nearly; these are factually very similar, but in 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 in, yeah. in our minds, we can say these are very different things. Um, one of the things that, I, and part of what sells that is part of what's meant to sell that is, I assume it's the same actor. You're going, we're getting, we're running into a, a problem where there's there's a few too many faces in this movie. Yeah, um, the guy who plays the guard, I thought he was just a guard, but in the thing, he's listed as the hangman. Yeah. Um, he has different responses, right? He hangs right. Ben, and he says, he goes back to his family, and he's like, well, this is, some days, I, I don't know that I want to keep doing this. And then when we get to Pal, he's like, this is going to be the one I enjoy, which is like, supposed right. to be like, I mean, like, yeah. we're supposed to sort of see that as, I, I assume we're supposed to, like, we have the lynch mob, but then we're also supposed to see that as a sort of, much more cold and like sort of right strictly evaluative view of that and like well these are these are different right right i don't and, i don't agree that either of them should be hanged but like that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother matter. yes like the yes. movie is trying to draw a line between these two things and and john is not john is just a child reacting to the fact that he keeps seeing the same thing happen over and over and over again and he's also been hunted like an animal for fucking right, like right however long this this takes place right he's he's in bad bad shape yes uh <laughs> sorry i uh, my my mind has just gone wild momentarily uh seeing a a different ending of this movie where an injured pal uh a so injured pal worse than the face full of bird shot he gets 
a so injured pal living in the barn is nursed back to health by Rachel in a way that redeems him is I mean, not something this movie wants no, to do, obviously, and, and wouldn't it be good? Well, but. The, the issue with that, right, is that like you need to have a story that leads up to that that would like let that happen, right? And right, like this right. is just not it, right? Like you can't. You could have a you could make a movie that's very very similar to this one where yes. that could happen. Listen, but like certainly you're not you cannot frame the 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 bad guy as the antichrist if there were in your movie and then have and then have one of your characters nurse him back to health to be to be certain the audience at the time wouldn't have hated it more so. no that's true that's true i mean i guess you you couldn't yeah. do worse than than what you've already done it was right? it was never never on the never on the plate there and you know by that time we've gotten We've gotten a pal who is not just a child murderer, uh, is not just lusting uh, and misogynistic in his lashing out to punish women for his lust, uh, but also is a pedophile by that point. So, uh, yeah, Um, I'm I'm fascinated. I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of effort to make him like the most despicable person you could ever imagine. Right. 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 And then have him walking around in the guise of. Of, yeah. reli- of, ben, of religion, right? Right. Ben commits a couple of murders off screen, but he loves kids, right? right? Well, I mean, and like, and even now, right? Like, that's that's important in films, right? Like, as shorthand yeah. for like what is or is that, like. I mean, Ben gets to give a speech at the end about like why he did it, right? Right. Powell's not right. giving a speech because Powell's seemingly, you know, is operating on pure greed and 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 hatred right. And, right. and other things that like we as an audience already know why Powell does what he does. Yeah, we don't really need uh, any extra information. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. I'm reading the the production part of the Wikipedia, and like there was much concern about depicting a preacher on screen as an evil person. And Gregory made an effort oh. to make the character of the Reverend not appear to be a real ordained minister. Eventually, the script was Did approved, you? but Protestant groups. Yeah, yeah. I've not Did read you, this whole yeah. thing at all. If you get to the part, both the uh, both the Catholic Decency League and the Protestant equivalent of it uh, boycotted this movie. Of course, when it came out. Yeah, uh, because of its portrayal of a of Christianity, of a, and that's that's the the fascinating thing about that is obviously, uh, Rachel is our framing element too, right? We meet Rachel first in the opening narration, and we see Rachel through the whole third act, and she is she is the good Christianity in this movie, right? And she's the one who talks about Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and talks about right, and, like, uh, and you get into that classic thing, right? Of like, well, we're going to boycott this because of what we think it is in our head, rather than right, like what it right, actually right. is, right? Like, this is a very, as it turns out, a very pro Christianity movie. It's just <laughs> right. like, but the thing is, right? Is that like, especially I again, this is just really broad brushes here, but like, it's real. Even then, it's real hard to tell the difference between the Mitchum character and any one of many fire and brimstone preachers. Oh yes, that, that any number of people have like gone to revivals and, with and stuff, right? Like, and the cer- certainly the uh, the sorts of ministers who head up Catholic decency leagues and, and yeah, the and Protestant the, whatever the Protestant equivalent of it is, yeah. While most of those are made up by and large, the body of those groups are church ladies. Uh, the men in charge of them are much closer to Powell than, than, than Rachel. Ra- yeah, by like leaps and bounds, like by, <laughs> yeah. by a country mile. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely, and they and like and we've talked about this before with reference to other groups that I have a relatively low opinion, low to zero <laughs> opinion of. Yeah, people don't people who they don't like to see reflections of themselves. Right, in right, things, right, right, right. Like, yeah, it's like it's the classic thing where we're like, where we you know, wait, the Nazi wh- thing where we're like, yeah, wait, is this about us? And it's like, yeah, way, 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 way back, just. Uh, M, one of our earliest episodes right, right. of this, you know, uh, eight years ago at least, we get uh, we get the Nazis preemptively banning it before they're even in power. Just yes, yeah. one guy happened to be happened to be a Nazi in charge of the studio or a, dis- a decision maker at the studio is like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah, Frank yeah. Slang, is this movie about child murderers about the Nazis? Because I don't like that. Right, right, and it's just that thing where it's like, well, at some point you're just like, well. I think any, yeah, it's this, this sort of like, yeah, we've encountered it a lot of times. This is neither the Listen. first nor the last time we will encounter this phenomenon of people Listen. sort of telling on themselves the, with their, with the allegorical, doing. the allegorical reading of this movie that, uh, the sort of Christianity that Powell embraces is one that murders children, murders women, and is only concerned with making money off of the yeah, dead money bodies. and power, right? Just money and power. It's all money and power. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that analogy holds up, and and, and it holds up who, into the real world, like yeah. fully in the people who want to ban the movie, right? Like, it's, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, you know, but 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 bringing that up with M, uh, I mean, it's an interesting comparison given that this is a German expressionist noir, right, in right. much the same way that M is. So. Right. That that is true. That uh, that that seems like almost more of a coincidence, but it's very interesting, right? It's just right, right. Yeah, this idea that like certain movies we watch have a certain like extra meta layer on top of them of like who decides to try to ban the movie really sort of tells on themselves. It's it's fascinating. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I mean, I really Just... I mean, I like I we we talked about this before, but like we've we've talked a lot about like do, me being able to or not be able to watch movies where children are in danger, right? And right. this movie is a fascinating case of that because, and I've encountered this plenty of times because, like, like, like it's a it's a standard go to, right? Like, lots of, like films. If you want to make your film tense and scary, put some children in danger, right? Jurassic Park right. or whatever. Like, right. you know, it's it's like, oh, these children are in danger. Now everybody everybody can get on board with the idea that children should not, in fact, be in danger, except for when we apply that rule to the real world. Right. Um, but like, um. It it's sort of this is that sort of fifties version of that where it's it gets so cartoon and like I don't know if it's actually because of the fifties I think it's more because it feels like a fairy tale. The entire thing, like you know, he talks about it like I think it's a lot and talks about it as an uh, yeah a nightmarish mother goose story. But that's what you're describing to me is a fairy tale, a like a more right. traditional version of that. But where it's like, oh yeah, this is a story about kids in danger. Like you need to understand that that from the very beginning. But it's also a fantasy. Um, and then you're also because of the weight nature of these things, you're also supposed to apply that to the real world and say, but is it a fantasy? Like, aren't a lot of children in situations that aren't that dissimilar to this sort of like goofy ter- fairy tale version of this? Um, yeah. But like, I you know these just these kind never bother me. It's sort of a, an interesting thing how like depending on the style of the film, it makes a big difference for like whether or not it's watchable or not for me in, in regards to that, but. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, 
it's presented here in a way where we're never actually scared for the kids. You know, no, there's yeah, the tension you, of the scenes work. I mean, but, in a different version of the film in a different time yeah. in a different place, you could be very scared that the kids might not make it, right? Like a later right. film at a later time in history made by a different director, those kids could be toast, right? Right. Yeah. But not in this but, movie. You just know from the nah. beginning that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, even, even you know, other other bits of Southern Gothic. <laughs> We might, right. we might encounter. Although, like to be fair, the movie does pull surprise. I did not expect him to murder, like him to be able to get away with bur- murdering Willa. Like I just didn't expect yeah. it to happen. I, I mean, I could kind of see from the runtime. I was like, well, fuck, this movie's pretty long still. Like I mean, we something's gonna <laughs> right. happen by the time. Yes, by the time we get to Willa's murder, you know he's going to get away with it because there's too much of the movie left. Right, exactly. But to. it's it's purely like a, a runtime thing. It's not a like. You, it is, it is surprising. Like it is in the in the context yeah. of the way these kind of movies work, and the it is it is telling that part of this of this this I don't want to call it a ghost story because again it feels more like a fairy tale than it does a ghost story. That a key component of it is that like they have to lose the only person still actually taking care of them, the only person who actually still cares about them. Um, it has to has to die right it, it, in order to make the story work, but. And then they have to, you know, to be able to discover somebody else who's willing to care for them and take care of them. Um, <laughs> the other, I will say that this movie has a inter- fascinating sort of like Rachel is the good person, right? Is the good person, right. but like even then, it's so like even predates the fifties era, right. like parochial this idea is- of like what a child is and like their role in yes. society and this this sort of like. It, it is still I, I can admire all the things the movie's doing, but it still annoys me. This like, I don't like seeing people talk about children, even in the way that Rachel talks about children, is annoying to me. Like as a person, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if we boiled down Rachel's sort of ending speech, that. The world is bad, and kids get the brunt of that badness, but they abide and they endure. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, but, I mean, her speech is, in, in many ways, for yeah. in a lot of ways, her speech at the end sort of is a redemptive thing compared to like the way we yeah. see her portrayed a lot of times. Right, throughout the movie, right, 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 right. But, but yes, particularly when she first encounters them, and 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 she's one who who will dish out corporal punishment. Uh, very. Uh, I mean, without very really easily. easily, yeah, yeah, very like very loose with it, like just ah, uh, just this, just how we deal with children, and then it's the way she talks yeah. about them, the girl, yeah. the other girls, and, and just sort of this idea of like, it's that that classic idea of like treating children as both things that you essentially yeah. own, and then things that well, are that are fundamentally stupid and can't make good decisions. Yeah, I will. I will say, given obviously, there by the time it's discovered, there are other more pressing matters. But the way she deals with Ruby and discovering that Ruby had is, lied to is her fascinating. Like is, the, the flip side, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. It Rachel is a is a sea of interesting com, uh, contradictions, right. right? Like, and she's extremely compassionate at the same yeah. time as being like also willing to just whack somebody with a stick. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, classic Southern grandma. Uh, <laughs> you actually had Southern grandma, so I mean, it, it can, comes down to whether that. or not right. I the compassionate response to Ruby feels a little out of character for that character archetype, but nonetheless, <laughs> yes. I do like 
that element yeah. of Rachel being extru- well. Rachel's also, I mean, like I, it's she's fascinating. She's just a fascinating character. I don't super like uh, Ruby's continued use through the last ten minutes of the movie as uh, as a vehicle for selling the sexual attraction of of Powell. I understand uh, why Lawton and them decide to do it. Yeah. It's just like because it's like it's also sort of you you run into the problem of like conservation of characters or making it not gross. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I get the idea that we are all the women are supposed to find him like extremely attractive. Right. Like he's supposed to right. be alluring and, and in that sort of scary way. Right. Yeah. And I get and We've got to convey that. We, I totally everyone, understand why you want to do that. Everyone but Rachel does. Right. Period. The flip uh, side of that is is that in your effort to not introduce a new set of characters to still be like deeply attracted to him, Ruby's essentially all you have left, and that's a problem. Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, Ruby falling in love with the first person who ever called her beautiful—that's probably pretty realistic too. But uh, it feels maybe, like though, like maybe maybe you don't want to use her for that after we find out that he's like a bajillion time murderer yeah who is hunting uh, your might, like kind of new yeah. brother and sister right like it might it might imply actually that that uh rachel is extremely protective of them enough that uh she has not articulated to ruby exactly what is going on yeah you kind uh, of one wonder, would right? yeah. one would hope that that ruby isn't dumb enough to not understand that this man was attacking Right, and that's that and that's night. why I think it's most problematic is uh, it, it, it portrays yeah. Ruby as being incredibly idiotic. Yeah, idiotic, uh-huh. but also like incapable of controlling herself, even in the yeah. light of like pertinent information. Right, which is right. a it is a fucked like, up way to portray even, a young woman. Right, that like even, her lust outweighs her common sense with regards to even people right. who will murder her. Yeah, I feel like that's bad. more of a movie problem than it is a Ruby the right. character problem because Ruby the yeah. character is written badly. Basically. Yeah, Ruby. Ruby doesn't necessarily know that Powell stands accused of murdering multiple adult women. Uh, by the time uh, she's last lusting after him and and wandering off again to try and go after him in the police car, but uh, she definitely knows he just tried to kill. Right. Sean I mean, like and Pearl. One, so. one, and that's what made you know even beyond like just tried to kill Pearl and stuff. Like, let's assume she like somehow missed all of that. Your your well, mom right did at yes. least shoot him in the face. <laughs> right, I, right, and, right. and now again, we're operating from from a totally different perspective. But as a general rule, when I was growing up, or any any time in my life, where I had an adult figure whom I respected, if that person chose to shoot somebody in the face, it would cause <laughs> me to question whether that person was somebody that I wanted to spend time with. Um. I never had a personal experience like that, so I don't know. Well, I, I don't either. My my parents being staunchly anti-gun means that I never had anyone. They never even really had an opportunity right. to shoot somebody in the face. Right, right, right. <laughs> that being said, uh, I would assume, based on knowing my family, that had they chosen to shoot somebody in the face, I, I suppose that really that just plays out that like that's an even more extreme version because where did they even get the gun from? But like you know, right. Nonetheless, right. my, my point is is that like we are sacrificing Ruby as a character on the sort of altar of making sure that we understand that Pal is still deeply like alluring, right? Yeah. 
But like yeah. again, it's problematic because you, the result you end up with is uh, young women are so incapable of controlling their lust that even in light of extremely extreme evidence that it's dangerous or bad, they'll still succumb to it. Right? Is sort of the message right. you get. And I don't think necessarily Lawton's like going out of his way to do that. But it's yeah. still the takeaway. You no. The reason I say that is just because, like, I don't think the rest of the movie jives with that exactly. Right. Because Pal right. is very tricky at all other times. Right. He's alluring, but he's also sneaky. He's good my, at tricking people. My major fear about what's happening there is that Lautlin might think that's a comedic beat, and there's certainly a lot of other darkly yeah. comedic stuff. Yeah. But but her wandering off at the one last time at the end seems like seems like our producers might think that's a funny thing to have and, her do. And, and what I think uh, I think what it comes down and I think what it comes down to is this is my thought on this is that this comes down to a series of people not thinking about what the greater implications of what they're doing is and just sort right, of right, right. doing whatever you know sort of. Doing like sort of thinking about things on a very top level and not considering well, the sort of deeper meaning I of think, what they're what they're doing necessarily. No, no, I don't. I don't think that's right. Really, I think, I think we can we can now say, uh, say that, and and it is generally true that I think they're not understanding completely what what they're saying. But I think they're not understanding completely what they're saying because they're approaching it from a very strict Freudian perspective. Yeah, and yeah. Freud's just wrong. Right. <laughs> so, well, I was not so uh, much. I was not so much thinking in terms of like, hmm, how do I explain this? I wasn't thinking that they don't understand. Right. I'm thinking like, we see this. There's a sort of like the the line between carelessness and like malice, right? Where yeah. it's like this feels like it leans a little bit more on the carelessness side than the malice side, where like. Somebody thought, well, that w- isn't yeah. that funny. Well, it still comes I, from a dark right. place, and like assuming that a young woman would do this in the first place is is a is a dark right, place, right? right? Like right. And to I'm come not... up with a joke in the first place, you have to assume yeah. that young women are f- fundamentally yeah. stupid. I don't know. In in stepping away from it, maybe possibly being a joke. I'm not suggesting that they they're doing this out of ignorance. I, I'm suggesting that they're doing it to the best of pop psychology at the time. It's just that the pop psychology at the time right. was bad. I, I mean, it's so. definitely possible. It's well, yeah. it is. It is one of the. It is as it stands. It is one of the most disappointing elements of this movie. <laughs> right. 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 It's it's just not. And at that point, we all get it. So it's it's kind of like getting into the thing we were talking about with like Mitchum's yeah. acting, still being combined with a lot of like overtly showing us again and again how evil you know what i mean like yeah mitchum's pulling it off you don't need to show me him sitting in a theater explaining essentially his hatred for women right now like now of course that was an early scene remember I that's before that. he even gets to town my so, man you, know. you understand that mitchum is evil the moment you fucking meet him <laughs> right 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 that's right. that's my point oh, sorry pal i'm even confusing them now mitchum <laughs> is doing an incredible job this guy yeah. is fucking scary from the moment right. you see him Never yes. at any point, and this is what makes the sort of anti those anti like those leagues that we talked about sort of so sad. Yeah. It's like ain't there's not a soul watching this movie, and of course that's that blanket statement's always comes with a 
a caveat that like of course there's somebody who watched this movie and didn't get it okay right but like right. in general 99% of your audience watches Mitchum's acting in here and goes hey that's the bad guy <laughs> yeah uh and then from there like you and and it has a lot to do with acting and sort of you sort of it sort of feels like it's written not knowing that you're going to get an actor who's so good at doing it that you still need, you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, I got to right. make sure that the a, script says it too. It is, it is actually very interesting. Grubb, the author of, of the book, uh, didn't want Mitchum to be cast at first because he thought he was too sexy for the role. Oh, it's, I, I mean, it's interesting, <laughs> and, right? Yeah. And too can, sexual. Well, I, I kind of get it. really right. how they say it. But because yes. I kind of get it because there's a world where you hire somebody like Mitchum that, where they could, you could easily drop the ball on this, right? You could easily right. make something that makes him alluring, not in a scary way, but in like a legitimate. You know what I mean? Like a lot of it comes down to Mitchum's acting chops, right? Like if you could easily, there's a world where you accidentally make this character not terrifying, right? Where the text says he's terrifying, but the acting right. says he's not. Yeah, and even even if it. Even in his goofiest moments, uh, he's not not terrifying. Right? right. No, he's always yeah. like he's got goofy moments, he's, but like, yeah, he's yeah. always scary. Like you always like, wouldn't want to be in a room with this man. Right. I think I'm I'm thinking of obviously when he gets shot in his face and he whimpers away, that's him being deflated and and he's no longer scary in that moment. Right. But uh but I think of in in the cell when uh when Ben's talking in his sleep and uh as originally scripted, uh, Powell gets out of his bed and is like kneeling beside Ben to try and coax him mm-hmm. into saying where the money is. Uh, but instead, what we get as shot, and this was something that Mitchum brought to the role, and Lawton said, okay, let's try it like that, is Powell just leaning over and hanging upside down. Right. And it's still menacing. And in fact, might be more menacing. Right. Well, and see, that's the thing, right? Is those little bits of goofiness, I think, heighten the menace to a certain extent, right? right? Because you're also kind of understanding that this person is just, it adds to the derangedness. Yeah. I can't speak words. The yeah. How deranged the character seems, right? That, like, he's scary. He's got this allure to him. But he also, like, doesn't operate in our world <laughs> entirely, right? Like, right. he, like... Right does shit that like a normal person just wouldn't do like not just beyond murdering people like i mean like that kind of shit makes him seem crazier not it makes him seem scarier not less somehow right right and that's true whenever he has a sort of like semi-comedic scene right where like a lot of times when he's talking to the kids they have a certain sort of element of that where he thinks he doesn't actually know how people talk to each other right. not really right and so he tries to talk to the kids and comes off as like, we, like both stupid and scary at the same. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's yeah. like if you made like it's sort of almost like if you made like Gomer Pyle like a nightmare murderer. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. Like it's scarier. That's somehow scarier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, he is just. I keep you know he's not. That menace and that goofiness might make one think of you know, a character like the Joker or something, but he's not. He's never presented as sort of. Well, that's not entirely true. I, I mean, it's, it is kind of like the Joker. Like it's psychologically like the, broken, 
I but would, he is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The movie, the movie theater scene does present him in that way. He is someone who uh, is so angry at himself for the lust he feels that he that he uh, wants to murder the object of that lust. Right. Yeah. Is what the movie is what the movie scene movie theater scene sells us on. Uh, I would are like we've never. I would you you brought up the joke, which is fascinating to me because yeah. number one, we have no we the closest we get to this is like probably like Jack Nicholson's Joker, like yeah. in all yeah. in all in actual in film, right? But like their motivations are highly different, right? Like their motive, like right. Joker doesn't kill out of like a sense of like sort of like almost like destroying the thing objects of lust or anything like that but it's the same basic concept in some of the more scarier versions of batman this is what the joker kind of is right the problem is right. is that like a modern american audience doesn't know what scare doesn't know what that kind of scary is or isn't <laughs> willing to accept that kind of scary so they never make the joker that kind of scary right right like right. there's a version you would make a version and again i said jack nicholson is probably the closest but even he's playing it too goofy right or they either play it too goofy or they, you know they fuck with it in some way but there's a version of him where he's not that different from robert bishop's character here yeah yeah and i think i think that heath ledger probably looked to pal as yeah, I would inspiration say, I would say so. the problem is more the one movie of, around one of him many. in that one yeah that's not that's one not of... exactly his fault that movie is a fucking mess yeah. so. well listen uh <laughs> Even beyond that, there's there's a lot else going on in Ledger's Joker than than just this. Years ago, we had a discussion around, particularly around transitions between films, mm-hmm. uh, and whether or not a serious film or any film outside of Star Wars could get away with an iris cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our answer and, now. It's not a transition, but it does iris in on the kids in the window so that the audience knows where they are. Here's what I will say is that it does it does feel goofy in this yeah. movie. I don't know that it works yeah. perfectly. Yeah. What what was that? I forget like I, I I'm work again, we'll call back to to house where they use those kind of wipes and shit like a lot. Yeah. But it, like it fits with the theme of the movie, it fits really well. Right. But you still notice them anytime. Anytime a wipe, like a wipe or something like that, some sort of transition is funkified. Your brain goes, yeah. "Wait, what now? What yeah. are we doing and here?" Of course, House is doing that every five seconds. Yeah, they're doing right? that for fun, so, right? They're they're playing yeah. with that. That's a game they're playing, right? And and Star Wars gets away with it because you fundamentally feel like you're already reading a not like a a a, a sort of yes. comic book from that era. Where like the panels would be all askew and weird and stuff anyway, right? Uh, I ran. I did run across something that claimed that that was that was the first use of an iris in a film in like uh, uh, thirty years or something. I mean, I would, look, uh, it, but I don't know. Those kind of things are goofy, and they always yeah. look goofy. There's right, no, right. It, you know, um, yeah. I it's a, it will never not be goofy. Um, yeah. It will always feel like you let Homer Simpson make your movie to a certain extent, right? <laughs> a uh, little bit. But like the thing that so the other thing I wanted to bring up about this movie that's is interesting and it's it's un it's not cited, but in the okay. Wikipedia it claims that Mitchum suggested that they should film the make the film actually in West Virginia, right? That they should shoot on location, 
And the, yeah. the only reason it didn't happen is because they didn't have the budget to to do that, which is to go there, which yeah. is fascinating because the result is is that had they shot in West Virginia, I don't think it would have felt as weird and fairy tale like as it does in this yeah. movie, right? You know, you're on a soundstage in this movie, and they sort like Lawton sort of plays into that and makes it like, well, that's part of the magic of it, right? Is it's so everything's so weird looking, um, right? Sort of embracing the soundstage as a way to like convey that this is not a real place and this is not a real thing. Um, so it's it's just interesting to think about like a version of this where it's shot on location in West Virginia, where like a like every shot would look completely different. Like there's just because the, again, as we talked about, there's no place that looks like this in West Virginia. So like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the the wide expanses. It's very. It's I very, mean, it feels more like, like it's much further down the the Mississippi, right? Like it feels like yeah. it's it's either, happening in a different place. Yeah, either much further down, even the Ohio. By the time the Ohio gets even, well, uh, yeah, once you get down to like where, or especially once it meets, yeah. um, once it like actually meets the uh, Mississippi, like, yeah, it you get, get something like Paducah, Kentucky, or something where it's it's yeah. borderline get, just water level, right. right? Like, right, you get. Yeah, Paducah, southern southern Indiana, southern Illinois. But yeah, that, that area. That yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, the Ohio River does can look like this, and even you know, sort of north of where we're at here, the the Ohio River between Pennsylvania and Ohio. Right. I don't think I've ever been generally to that part, flat. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's flatter, but but all of West Virginia is. Appalachian Mountains, right, uh, and uh, right up to the river and across the border into southern southeast Ohio, right. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's very weird. Uh, it feels more like coastal plains, Virginia, like the other side of the mountains than than mm-hmm. anywhere else to me. But obviously, it's also all on a soundstage. Uh, did you see the the movie premiered in Des Moines oh, did <laughs> with it? a parade? Because the producer of the movie is from Des Moines, <laughs> that's that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, um, the producer had a pretty uh, pretty heavy hand in in a lot of the movie decisions, which you know a pro- that's part of the producer's job is to to tell somebody when they're doing a bad idea. Right. Uh, one of one of the things uh, he did push back on was originally Lawton wanted to play Pow and direct himself and. Uh, and the producer said, "No studio is going to sign off on that. You right. need you need a a recognizable actor who isn't you." Um, I mean, good for the producer in preventing what would have been a travesty. But yes, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's I a don't, fine I actor. don't see Martin as like he just yeah. doesn't have the look, right? He doesn't. Right, right, like, right. Of course, like that's hindsight, right? We've seen it with Mitchum, who does a like knockout job on this, right? But right. like. Like I don't know. Like Powell just doesn't have the the dark, or sorry, Lawton doesn't have the the that that that. I don't know. He just doesn't have that. I don't know. I just yeah. that's hard to imagine. Yeah. Now Gregory is also a longtime friend of Lawton, uh, and had produced many of the many of his plays on Broadway. Um. But yeah, he decided to hold the premiere in his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I wonder how that went off, went over. Because this does not feel like I'm going to have this at the, the at the uh, fair. 
Boy, I bet was, there were a lot of people real disturbed. It was, and I feel like this is probably Gre- Gregory making a producer decision to undermine the decency league objections. Uh, the entire event was to also functioning to raise money for the local YMCA. Oh, okay. Uh, so maybe that's just the connection he had. Uh, and it was broadcast on the tonight show. Uh, yeah, that's just a very interesting paragraph period. Yeah. It's sort of like kind there. of doing an end run, right? Where you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to say like, you know, because like, I mean, obviously, although like, I mean, they also describe like working with the, the, um, you know, with the motion pictures, you know, like trying to make sure that the film didn't break any like strict rules where like it would just not be able to get made or something like that. Right. Cause like, you know, you're yeah. dealing with a pretty, this, you're going to end up with a script that really hugs the line on whether or not it's yeah. even going to be like allowed to be released as written. Right. Yeah. Um, another interesting parallel with house from this movie, uh, the LA Herald express serial serialized the script before release. Oh, it, interesting. Uh, and, uh, well, combined with there the fact was, that there's already a book already, like it, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, which is interesting that it, yeah, it started life as a book, right? Um, but then also there is a version of this film that has Lawton reading a uh, uh, a compressed version of the of the story over the soundtrack that was released as as an LP. Okay. Um. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I mean, the soundtrack's fantastic. The music right. in this is fantastic. Not just I can see I can the... see a dramatic reading of this working really, yeah. really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, yeah, all of the music is very good, and and I kind of I kind of want to seek out that LP and see see what it's like because uh, the music's great, and also interested in how the how the story gets condensed. Right, right. Format. I mean, though, if you told, I think you would end up back at the book, right? You would, you would end up with the same sort of thing that you end up with a book, right? Where you just sort of, you have to just start describing. I don't know. That would be interesting. I wonder, like, a compressed version of a script made from a book sounds like you're just making the book. But then again, I read a novelization of, uh, you know, like, I as a teenager, like young teenager, like twelve or something. I ne- I read enough novelizations of movies that started life as his books where I've definitely done read that thing. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Where they, where they made, you know what I mean? Like those novelizations with the inserts with the, with the pictures, right. From the film that they would right. make. And sometimes those were of books of movies that already had an existing book. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It looks like at the time, most of the, uh, most of the critics who didn't like this film, uh, between the lines, it was too goofy, but the outright statements are that it, it belongs in an art house. It's more experimental than than they would want it to be, uh, which is interesting because I, I think it was Truffaut loved this movie because it was so ex- experimental. And Cahiers uh, de Cinema has ranked it as their number two greatest film of all time. I mean, right I behind. get it, right? Like, if you're going to... Yeah. Like, you can see the, a, a thing there, right? Like, you can see how later directors yeah, use mean, this as a sort of a, an as yeah. a sort of starting point right that's it this is 
this is definitely you know within a decade of this moving out of of this within a decade of this movie coming out the Kahu's de Cinema guys would have eaten it up so right. so just Lawton Lawton missed his chance by just a few years yeah, I mean, he really missed. Yeah, he missed his 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 window to be like a breakout hit in Europe without like making any success in the United States at all, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, he's a British guy anyway, so it right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, although I imagine that within the British cinema, like film industry, this would be about equally received as it is in America, right? Like, <laughs> great, great Britain uh, rated this movie adults only when it came out. Right, exactly. Because, That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, it's. It's really up to the the French or like the Italians or somebody like that to be like really on board for what this movie is, right? Um, but no, it make it makes sense. It's just a, really, it's in many ways a movie like ahead of its time, right? It just it's yeah, it's it's hitting on something that, as you said, within ten years would be remarkably popular. Like would be right, right. would just be a, a blowout success. Um, yeah. and it's just yeah, it's a movie out of time. And right? It's experimental, yeah. but it's not insanely experimental. It's not like out of this world like it's it's that sort of starting point rather than like yeah. the you know because now no none of us would watch this now and call this like art house right because like right that, that the idea of like experimental cinema has moved so far beyond this but it's got to start somewhere right and like this is that we've seen this before you see this with other forms of art and you've talked about this with other sort of genres of cinema and stuff before where the idea that like there's that seed one that is too early for its own good. That never yeah. that that all the people who will use it as a reference point later, but it didn't make it any money when it came out. I will clarify the Cowherds de Cinema list uh, was the most beautiful films of all time. I mean, yeah, and it was also published in two thousand seven. It's not like it was the sixties. No, I know, Cinema but guys like, making but the list. But. nonetheless, like <clears throat> you and I, I think agree that like I think it's easy to see, you know, by by the. Yeah, what people like about like, it. it yeah. It's this is going to be like, you know, Spike Lee didn't use it as a reference point and do the right thing <laughs> for no reason, right? Like, right, this, right, right. It, it's, I mean, like when you go down into re- retrospective, it's just a list of people who like use this as a reference <laughs> point, right? Like, there's right. a reason for that, and it's because this movie is doing things that weren't appreciated in its time, but are deeply appreciated later on, right? Yeah. And it's uh, it is a movie that holds up. Uh, is a, uh, I was wrapped. Uh, I, I yeah no yeah I mean it you're it's deeply engrossing. You're just you're just in and it, I, yeah, it is. It is. Ha- I will say with the last few movies, House and 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 others recently, I have been very interested. Uh, but occasionally. Uh, and and also very recently was say the thin red line. Yeah, I mean we did have to watch the thin length. red line, which was like n- uh, not enrapturing in, for me at all. Yeah, but. it is sometimes very hard to force myself to pay attention to these movies. Uh, this movie is not one I struggle with at all. Whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I can rate it on a how many times does Pat check his phone during the film like scale, yeah. right? And like, you know, this house I didn't the damn thing i don't even know where it was right but then right, like, right, you know right. i checked my phone a couple of times I had to rewind a couple of times because i missed things cause, you know sometimes the movies don't draw us in and then sometimes they like take over your brain and you just can't think about yeah. anything or and you do what you know i did with this and i mean houses houses is like a prime example in that like i can't 
I stand by everything I said in that recording, and I cannot fucking stop thinking about that movie. <laughs> and this one fits into the same ballpark where I'll probably be thinking about this for a long time. And like, it'll be one right. of those touchstones as we go forward in the project where like I'll keep wanting to reference back to it because it's yeah. doing so many interesting things that like it's going to be a touchstone for going forward. Right, right. Yeah, it's fantastic visually, fantastic just artistically period uh everything about this is great yeah and you know even the kids are good uh as far you know pearl i mean pearl inhabits like, the character pearl inhabits the character pearl is meant child. to be yeah uh but not purposefully because <laughs> it, it is a very small child playing a very, playing small, a very child. small child which yeah. is kind of in many ways ideal and that like you get pearl feels like pearl ought to feel right but yeah Right, right, right. Absolutely. Uh, well, <laughs> we we'll probably draw this one to a close so we don't just end up talking about all, all the individual we'll things we like in this movie again. back around and just start yeah, it all over again around. and keep talking about how much yeah. we like it. But, but it's a really fun movie. Uh, very happy to have watched it. Uh, just fantastically atmospheric in all the right ways. Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. So heartbroken that people didn't like this movie, that he never directed another movie. He st- he did still act, obviously, you can see. But <laughs> I also, think you mentioned it particularly, but... We can, we can evaluate that on the flip side. is like, maybe we are blessed in the sense that, like, we got one that is just this much of a banger, and he never got the opportunity to fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> like... I guess. Hit a home run on the only time at yeah. bat, and then just walk away. I don't yeah, agree that the, it, I agree that it is sad that the reason he walked away is that like the, like essentially all of film going public hurt his feelings by not going to see his movie. But he, you know. what it, what is most sad is that while he did con- did continue working after this, uh, he died at age sixty three in nineteen sixty two. So he did not live long enough to see this reevaluated. Right, that that is extremely sad. That it right? is that that is that is a deeply sad thing. That like even just a little bit later, by the nineteen seventies, yeah. he would have been like doing sort of essentially revival tours of this movie, right, where people are playing it in cinemas and stuff like that. Right, 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 right. right. Which it, that is very sad because I I think yeah I was re- I was trying to skim through the Wikipedia but there's like by the nineteen it seems like there's things happening with this movie by the nineteen seventies where like people are like reevaluating and talking about it and 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 saying things about it that like the nineteen seventies the field of film criticism began to expand many articles were written about the film yeah like he ten more years. And right. there's a decent chance he would have been reading like reviews of it that like are praising it, right? Right. Yeah. Uh how sad. Yeah, that um, is really sad. I saw Truffaut quoted as saying that uh it's a movie that made him fall back in love with uh experimental cinema, basically. <laughs> um uh well let's see if I can find the exact quote. Uh oh, here we go. In 1956 review, Francois Truffaut, uh, while in complete admiration for a film that, quotes makes us fall in love again with the experimental cinema that truly, Truffaut's emphasis, experiments, and crediting Lawton's ability to make a commercial film, prophesied that it will probably be Lawton's single experience as a director, <laughs> which was true. Right. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. So Truffaut, pra- Truffaut praised it in 56, so very early. Right. Uh, I mean, but that's not that's not going to be enough, right? Like, that's just not right, enough. Right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. You need the anyway. sort of the, maj- the a mass element of the of the sort of field of criticism and review to start talking about it, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. And and by and large, American directors or American critics were not not into it. Yeah. Uh, not yet. It's just it's yeah, too early. Yeah. And I would like to I think, apologize. I'm fairly certain I called Lawton like pow like nine times when I <laughs> in, in my, I, I I started getting like the every, names crosswired in my head. Everybody's getting over. called. Everybody's getting called pal this time. Yeah, because we're all Mitchum's getting called pal. Pal's getting called Mitchum. Lawton's getting called pal for some reason that I can't quite articulate. There's a little a little devil preacher inside us all, man. So everybody gets to be a little pal. Uh, but don't try to murder children. That's not an excuse. I mean, That's don't not... try to murder anybody as a general yeah. rule. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, so last week we had Darjeeling Limited, but before that was House. Uh, and uh, and I guess even strictly speaking, you know, we had Paths of Glory, and before that was The Magician. So we're on sort of a a weird horror movie kick with, yeah. with the Criterion Collection in the last six weeks or so. Uh, and that continues next week. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, I think next week it maybe ramps up. <laughs> well, listen, they all have their own unique little things. The magician uses horror movie tropes in sort of a melodrama and, and a weird class politics thing. And then House is just <laughs> a wholly unique thing. Yeah, a thing that shall never uh, be replicated on this earth. Yeah. Um, and then this is also really... Uh, I mean, this is a sort very, of singular uh, thing, right? Very like, original. This is just, yes, and yeah, it's very singular. Very uh, and then next week, I think probably singular in its own right, too, with Antichrist, Lars von Trier's 2009 film uh, with uh, with Charlotte Gainsbourg and uh, Willem Dafoe. And <laughs> the way yeah, I'm going to spend uh, my day off. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, a horror art film uh, is is what, <laughs> what criteria or what Wikipedia describes it as. Uh, yeah. But I, I usually I, uh, I sort of offhandedly say look for, looking forward to that after I announce what next week's film is. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Pat is looking. Forward I don't to this, know so. because I really <laughs> like Von Trier, but I am very nervous about this movie. <laughs> right, right. This is this is Pat's balance against uh, the horror movies that he often does not like versus. Pat, you like Von Trier more than I like Von Trier. I, I don't so. know why that is true, but it is <laughs> yeah. it is definitely yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. We are cautiously in- interested in next week's film. So uh, come back next week to see uh, how that cautious interest pays off <laughs> oh, as, we watch, as we watch Antichrist from 2009. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter, at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter, at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>